Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today we're answering the question, how does a canonical approach to Scripture help us understand the seriousness of sin? I enjoy uh, talking about a canonical approach to Scripture, and it's not my uh, most favorite thing to do is to talk about the nature of sin, but it's one particular doctrine in Scripture, we just can't get away from, nor should we get it away away from it. Um, the reason that a canonical approach to Scripture, in my judgment, is so helpful is for the following reason. How do you explain the nature of sin to children so they can understand it? Well, people have said, well, it's when you do bad things. Well, what kind of bad things? Does God send people to judgment for? stealing candy or for talking back to my mommy uh, how do you teach children in such a way that they understand the seriousness and the nature of sin how do you teach your students in class if you're a teacher and if you're a discipler and you're trying to help someone understand maybe their own problems or the nature of sin from scripture how do you do that in such a way that they their face lights up and they say, yeah, I get it. For example, that sin has been defined by most people as missing the mark. Now that's quite an innocuous definition or an innocuous way of describing a phenomenon that is so lethal that it brings death to the entire race. So the whole human race dies because we miss the mark? So it's a challenge to vividly communicate the catastrophic nature of sin to children who don't understand abstract concepts, to students, to our disciples, to our friends, and to our family. I would say that it's reasonable, perfectly reasonable to assume that since the entire redemptive program of God in Jesus Christ was a gracious response to sin, then surely the Bible provides us with an analogy, a corresponding analogy of its deadly nature. Surely, God has provided us with a description that helps us to see how sin is so devastating on the human race. Surely, there's a picture that can be painted in Scripture for us to go, aha, now I get it something that even a child could understand. Well, with the arrival of COVID-19, we are in a, uh, a good position to study the scripture canonically to answer this question. How serious is the nature of sin? COVID-19 is a great platform. And in my judgment, even a child 
even a child could understand the serious nature of sin during this pandemic, during this time when this virus has swept across the entire planet. And the good news is, is that when we approach the Bible canonically, the picture comes together, and it makes sense. And we don't have to say only that sin is simply missing the mark. Let me introduce that canonical approach. A canonical approach to the nature of sin comes in three different pictures. Or, if I can use uh, another illustration, it comes to us in three different links in a chain. Just three. But if we put those three links together and form a small, short chain, it is then that the big picture emerges. It is then that we understand the devastating nature of sin, the seriousness of sin. And so, uh, up to now, we've looked at these passages in isolation. We've looked at these links by themselves, independent from other links. And that's why we have not understood the nature of sin. We've not had a picture to explain it. But when we put these three together, even though they're in separate parts of the Bible, but when we put them together, and they are linked together biblically with thread that I'll show you, then the light comes on. We go, yeah, now I understand the devastating nature of sin. The first picture is from, of course, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, this is somewhat of a BTW, a by the way. Uh, Genesis 1 through 3 is the foundation for the entire Bible. It's the foundation for the Pentateuch. It's the foundation for the Old Testament. And it's the foundation for the entire Bible. If you know Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and know its intended language, and its intended themes, everything else in the Bible pretty much falls together. Now, let's go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we are told that Adam and Eve were told not to eat from a particular tree. Uh, it was called the tree of the knowledge, key word there, of good, tov, and evil. In other words, God's prerogative is to know what uh, true knowledge is and what good is. It's God's prerogative to know what evil is. That's his prerogative. And he's telling human beings, you cannot have that prerogative. You cannot eat from this tree. Uh, it's up to me to determine what's good for you. It's up to me to determine what's not good for you, what's not beneficial to you, what is harmful to you. I make that decision. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me that I know. In other words, Father knows best. Father knows what's best for his children. And he does. But our parents decided that they wanted that prerogative. And you know the story, perhaps, as a result of picking fruit from that tree. We have no idea what fruit it was. Uh, they chose to be God. They chose to, to take God's position and to know what good was and to what evil was. They chose that, and as a result, God expelled them from their presence, from his presence. He expelled them from the garden. He expelled them from access to the tree of life, and he expelled them from his 
from fellowship with him, from communion with him. They lost their rights, they lost their privileges, and they lost access to the tree of life. What happened there? Well, Paul later, in much later in Romans 5.12, says something happened at that moment. It's a verse that you're familiar with. And so, just as sin entered into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread, key word there, to all human beings because all sin. That's very abstract, but it says that sin entered and spread, and death entered and spread. But how? How did it spread? The next story in Genesis, after they're expelled in Genesis 3, is the story in Genesis 4 of the offspring of Adam and Eve, two brothers. The eldest killed the second youngest, or the, the second oldest. Cain killed Abel. So what do we have? We have the spread of sin from Adam, who took the fruit, to Cain, who took a life. We have murder. We have sin. It spread from father to son. How'd that happen? I mean, what do we, what do we say to our children to show the spread of sin from father to son? From Adam in chapter 3 to Cain in chapter 4. What do we have? How did that spread? I mean, it spread. We go from Adam to Cain, and Cain doesn't just simply spit on the sidewalk. Good night. He kills his brother. It's murder. It's so serious. What happened? How do we explain that to our children? Well, the Bible has given us an explanation of what happened there in two other stories. I'll go to the next main story in Genesis, captured for us in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. This is the so-called story of the flood. And right before the commencement of the flood, the Genesis writer tells us the following things. The Lord saw how great human wickedness had become on the earth, and that, check, check this out, every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So the Lord said, I will wipe out the human race whom I have created from the face of the earth. Here you see how sin has spread. It went from Adam to Cain, and then in the generation of Noah, it says every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, there's that word again, evil, all the time. You see the spread? But how did it spread? Well, um, what happened for the Noah's flood is not only was there social distancing required, quarantine required for Adam and Eve, they were thrust out of the garden, no more contact. Noah himself, who was not part of that wicked generation, was quarantined. He was placed in an ark, and he was in there for 372 days. And when he came out, water had wiped the earth of humanity, had wiped the earth of sinful humanity 
And God then had Noah make a sacrifice, a burnt offering, and sacrifice was made for the sins of those people. So the earth now is cleansed and washed with water. There's a sacrifice, and life can begin anew. So it is at that point that God then tells Noah exactly what he told Adam. Be fruitful like a tree, multiply, and fill the earth. It's a recreation. Uh, the earth has experienced a second birth. It's the, the earth is born again. All of, of course, which is to prefigure the death burial of Jesus and our own death burial and resurrection in our baptism. Now, what we've seen is two stories. Adam and Eve sinned. They're quarantined. The generation after that, sin spreads. And it spreads everybody. Everybody caught it, except Noah by grace is spared. And what happens? There's a quarantine, there's washing, and then there's a period of time when it's over with, when everything is washed clean. So far, we've got two links. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Two links. But we're not there yet. Later on, in the book of Leviticus, we have a very unusual set of instructions. The instructions relate to what are called skin diseases. Now, we don't worry a whole lot about that unless we get skin cancer and then we go to a skin doctor. And here in Florida, where we live, it can be a problem with the sun pretty intense. But the instructions for anyone who is seen to have a skin disease were unusual. First of all, the person was quarantined and he had to live outside the camp. That's right. If you had a skin disease, you were required, and this is Leviticus 13, 1 through 14, you were required to live outside. It says as long as he has the infection, Leviticus 13, 46, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. And in the same section, if a house is seen to have mildew in it, the residents had to vacate it quarantine. And for seven days, no one could live in that house because the house was now unclean. Procedures had to be followed. Uh, the walls had to be scraped. And then uh, the stones uh, were removed if they had mildew, mildew and replaced. Then the house was plastered. But if after seven days, the mildew reappeared on those stones. The house had to be destroyed. But if the mildew had stopped and it looked like the uncleanness had come to an end, it's unusual. Birds were sacrificed. Water was used then to wash the house and make it clean. Now, why in the world would the writer go to such lengths to give us the details in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13 and 14, about mildew on a house and infectious skin diseases. I mean, why do we need to know that? Well, there's many, many parallels between what happened in the flood and what happened with skin diseases. First of all, original sin focused on skin man's nakedness. They opened their eyes and they knew that they were what? Naked. Now, 
infectious unclean diseases also focus on a person's skin. And in all three cases, both Genesis 1, 2, and 3, specifically 3, Noah and then the skin disease in Leviticus 13, there needed to be quarantined. Someone had to be put outside the camp or enclosed in a structure that was quarantined and clean, free from uncleanness, free from the skin disease. But then um, the, the parallels between uh, the cleansing of the man with the skin disease and the, uh, the solution with the ark are exactly the same. Let me read some of the parallels that the author has placed between the two stories of Noah's ark and the infectious skin diseases. Number one, Noah's ark was plastered inside and out. Same with the house that had mildew. Noah waited seven days at the door of the ark. Well, the, Jew, the Jewish priest had to wait seven days at the door of the house that had mildew. In addition to two birds being used with the house, two birds were used with Noah's ark. Sacrifices were offered at the conclusion of both the mildewed house, the unclean person, and Noah's ark. And finally, at the conclusion of the Noah's flood, and at the conclusion of the mildewed house cleansing, there was a sacrifice and there was a covenant made. And the covenant was seen in the cloud. At the end of Noah's flood, there's a sign in the cloud of God's covenant with humanity. And there is a sign of the cloud over the ark that represents the cleanliness of and the atonement of sin by God. So what the Bible is doing here is giving us three pictures or three links in a chain that together show us one thing about the nature of sin, the sin of humanity. What is it like? The author is showing us that sin is the worst pandemic in human history. It spreads, it's contagious, and it leads to death. It requires quarantine, washing with water, and a sacrifice. Those three pictures put, us to, put together to tell us the nature and the destructive nature of sin. It's like a pandemic. It spreads from father to son to a generation. And it creates judgment. It creates the necessity for judgment. But there are ways to deal with it. There are ways to stop it. There are ways to take a person who's unclean and restore them to the community. Well, this is the story of salvation. All of these stories picture what it takes for us to be cleansed from the pandemic of sin. We need to be washed. And baptism is that picture of us being cleansed and washed. There had to be a sacrifice. Something had to die. And the sacrifice that, of course, is being referenced in salvation is Jesus. First Peter makes it clear that Jesus died on the tree in order to what, as he says, to bring us to God, to bring us back to God. We've been outside the camp. Now we're brought inside the camp by the blood of Christ. And baptism, washing with water, is part 
of that ceremony, part of the picture of having our sins washed away and cleansed. This is why the uh, man named Ananias in Acts 22, the story is being retold of Paul's conversion, which occurred in Acts 9, he says, get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Uh, in the New Testament, um, baptism and repentance and faith and washing are all used interchangeably, like shorthand, to describe one experience, a person becoming a Christian. And sometimes they use one word, and other times they use another word. In this case, Ananias likens baptism to the washing away of the infection of sin. So if your children ask you, well, what is sin or why is sin so serious? You can say that it's just like what happens with COVID-19. What do you have? Well, you have quarantine. You have people who catch the disease and some of them die. And there's this urge to find a solution, this urge to find some sort of um, medicine that will cure it. That's very much like sin. There's quarantine. Uh, there's, it spreads. It's very contagious. I mean, if you put your hands on the counter where the virus is, you catch it. And that's like sin. It's contagious. In fact, it's contagious for the entire human race. And it kills. It kills everybody. But there's a solution. And the gospel is the solution to the greatest pandemic in human history. It involves quarantine. It involves washing. It involves a sacrifice. And good news it means that we can come back to God. Or in the words of Charles Wesley, Christ has opened paradise. The pandemic is over for us. We can now enter God's presence once again, pure and washed and clean. So a canonical approach to Bible takes three different pictures, puts them together, and helps us explain why it is that within one generation, the son of Adam, actually got mad and so angry that he killed his own dear brother. One of the most serious crimes in history. It's sin and it spread. It spread like a pandemic. And the end of that was death. Well, I, I hope that uh, some of that was clear. I hope you can think about what I've said and then use it to explain the nature of sin. It's far more than simply missing the mark. I mean, it is missing God's mark, but this is how it spreads, and this is why it's so devastating, and this is why God enacted something called the redemptive program of salvation. Praise God for that. Um, hope uh, this will be an encouragement to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us this episode. And remember to send all your questions to questions for Pastor Tim at gmail.com.